That's pretty exciting, right, Omega? Indeed. Yeah, right. HIAC talk radio is always exciting. Get in there. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Fight forever, Guardian. I think he broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hey, what are we talking about this week, Craig? We are talking about professional wrestling and professional wrestling uh, related byproducts of same. And probably, um, we'll probably get more enjoyment out of talking about wrestling when it was actually wrestling and not, uh, the current product that we're seeing on our TVs and our various, uh, cable outlets, um, that barely see, get a million viewers every week. And in some weeks, less than a half a million viewers weekly. So there's... Not a whole lot to talk about. Uh, AEW uh, right now is in Long Island as we speak. Um, they're making their way up the East Coast. Uh, they announced a show in at the Boardwalk Hall. About which, to mention um, that. I'm glad you brought that up, man. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm gonna look into going to that because I haven't been to I haven't been to Boardwalk Hall since 2014 when it was the it was two hockey teams that I have zero to no little to no. No investment in no whatsoever. It was an AHL game. It was the Hershey Bears versus the Trenton Devils. Not the Trenton Devils. The uh, I guess it was the Albany Devils at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not around anymore. But um, yeah, it was. Uh, it, there was maybe a hundred people there. <laughs> so wow. it's been in a- many many years. And I think before that, the last time I was at Boardwalk Hall was when I went to see the. Atlantic City Boardwalk Bullies. Okay. In uh God, two thousand four or five now. Wow. Yeah. Um you knew that team was in trouble when uh good job, JVR. You knew that team was in trouble <laughs> when they had a uh schedule comes out that year that was the fourth anniversary. Oh so when, yeah. Yeah, you're like, oh, that's bad. Well, that's over. <laughs> so is this the part where I tell this is the part where I would yell shit fuck to mess up the take. No, I don't care. Um, but yeah, so uh, I'm looking, I'm, I'm going to try to go to that because it's in February and yeah. I haven't been to Boardwalk Hall, like I said, in years. I, I, I might be interested to, to go with you, Craig. I don't know. I'm going to see how it goes at the end of the year. I might snap two tickets and we'll go down. Definitely. Well, because I, um, Boardwalk Hall hasn't been set up for a wrestling bout in about maybe like 10, 15 years. And it would just be good to see. It again as set up for wrestling, you know. Um, yeah, because when it was, it was, um, you know, they'd run a lot of, of shows there. It was kind of one of the perennials, um, when the WWF was a preeminent Northeastern uh federation and they ran shows, you know, once a month or they would do the the, the loop and then they would go when they would hit Jersey, it would be, you know, um. Uh, in Asbury Park or Newark or something like that. And the Boardwalk Hall would be a special event, something because that was always the place where for hockey and in some cases basketball, college basketball. But um I know Bruno wrestled there. Um not a lot, but enough to make it a, a thing. 
and uh, I had a buddy Rogers wrestled there in the uh, in the mid '60s. But it's a great venue for professional wrestling, just because it looks awesome. When you, if you've ever seen any pictures from the Boardwalk Hall, even just the 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 uh, roof cam looking down at it, it just looks uh, absolutely uh, uh, spectacular. So uh, I just want to point. Back. Point of or- point of order for when when the WWF talks about wrestling, excuse me, when WWE talks about WrestleMania at uh, four, was it four and five? Yeah, four and five. And they say it was at Trump Taj Mahal. It wasn't. No, Trump's the guy. I guess that's. I don't know what Trump's uh, uh, fuck faces involvement was in. Uh, yeah, I said it. If you're Republican, sorry, turn it off. Um, let me rephrase that. If you're if you're a Trumper, <laughs> turn it off. I don't give a shit. Uh, 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 I don't know what his involvement was monetarily. I'm sure there was some. I really, I, I, when people say I never liked Trump, I really never liked him, even to the point where I haven't looked it up, cared enough to look up what his involvement in those shows, other than I saw his dumb ass sitting there. Uh, in well, the front it, was, row. it was called, yeah, Trump Boardwalk Hall, and it was at the, they, they called it the Trump, uh, separate. It was, yeah, it's separate, but because his name was on in, in front of it. So four and five, it was. You labeled the Trump boardwalk hall, and he was, you know, taking pictures of everyone, uh, taking pictures of all the stars, with all the uh, all the wrestlers, and made it seem like it, he was hosting, like they were holding it in his building. Um, one of the stories I remember was, uh, you know, Randy Savage, who we'll talk about in a second uh, in the wrestling historian later in this podcast, but you know, was so protective of Elizabeth, and he was like with everybody, but of course Donald wanted to get a picture with Miss Elizabeth, uh, but Randy wanted to be in the picture. And Donald said, okay. So, but when they got the picture with uh, Elizabeth, Randy was standing in between Trump and Elizabeth. So, like, you can get your picture taken. Randy was smart. Yes, yeah, so, but Randy... He knew what was up. But, but, but Randy it was like that with everyone when they wanted to pick, take a picture with Miss Elizabeth. So, like, yeah, I had to be in it, and I had to be between you and Elizabeth. Yeah, um, I just wanted to be clear that don't kid yourself, motherfucker had nothing to do with Boardwalk Hall. Boardwalk Hall is a separate venue that the uh, arena uh, that the casino is attached to. That is one of the good things I love about Boardwalk Hall is that you don't you can go there if you want and just go there and leave, but yeah. you can be at the casino and just walk right. There's a door and a hallway that leads right into a separate entrance at Boardwalk Hall from the inside of the casino. It's brilliant. Um, also for years during the PlayStation two and three era of the <laughs> WWE SmackDown games, uh, for a good six, seven years there, the arena model, which was generic, you know, it would say yeah. different locations randomly when you loaded a match in or whatever, but it was boardwalk hall. It had those arches around the whole right like the section arches that boardwalk hall has. So yeah. for years, I'll be like, that's boardwalk hall. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was unmistakable. The, uh, the building itself. And again, there weren't a lot of big, uh, venues in Jersey. Uh, so that, that was, and they didn't run a lot of shows there, but once they did it, uh, it was a big deal in it and it looked great. Uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward. I'm going to see if we can, uh, go to that, see what my availability is. I'd like to, I'd like to go to boardwalk hall again. Um, and, and I guess, and, go ahead. And kudos to AEW for taking their show on the road and for coming up to the 
using the East Coast. Like I said, they're in Long Island tonight, and they're going to make a stop at uh, Boardwalk Hall. Maybe it's only a matter of time if they come to when they come back to Philadelphia, if they'll pick a major arena. Not there's anything wrong with the Leah Corey Center, but you know, uh, they could they certainly have the avail the the uh, the availability and the funds to uh, run a uh, a bigger uh, venue. So yeah, that's something to uh, to look forward to with AEW. Uh, I'm they don't have the audience yet, or but uh, they certainly have uh, the uh, financial backing so they can rent these big big places. Where they have this. Them. They have this weird thing because they're they're doing all right so far. They've been filling a lot of buildings. To be fair, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, they have this weird. We're in this weird. <laughs> Uh, section of time for this company where, you know, it's it's fact. You and I talk about it at nauseum. They're they're not hitting millions. They're just not. No. But they have this weird advantage of having a weird mix of indie indie darlings and people that the WWE didn't want anymore. Mm-hmm. That will draw at an arena. It might not draw ratings. You know the golden era of wrestling is long, long over, but they will, they will do fairly well. like you'll hit Boardwalk Hall and and you'll get all the traditionalists to yeah. come, so they'll sell that out no problem. Um, yeah. y- you know that's why, like the tennis, the the at, at the um, Forest Hills where they did the show in New York. Yeah, you know Forest Hills and is also. Sorry, I was about to dro- dro- drop useless trivia on it. <laughs> Go ahead. Forest Hills is. Go ahead. Drop Forest, useless trivia. Forest Hills is the only place where um, Earth, Wind, and Fire performed with Genesis Live on No Reply at All and Paper Late on stage. You know, they, wow. recorded, the, they recorded the horn section for the album for, uh-huh. for Paper Late and No Reply at All. They're on Abacab and they're on the single, but they never performed it live with them except. A random Forest Hills tour stop in 1981 or two on the Abacab tour. They did both songs there. Sorry, useless trivia, but it's trivia that I know. Screw you guys. <laughs> I will take that. I, you know, Dan, I've made my quite a bit of. Uh, I won quite a bit of prizes with my useless trivia. So don't ever poo-poo useless trivia. <laughs> I'm all about it. So give it to me, and I will consume it heartily and spew it out to someone else who wouldn't know. I'm all about the use of trivia, baby. So that's great. I even got a chance to drop some of my own today. Uh, the song Modern Love came on one of the um, uh, people were playing. Uh, oh, I know where you're going with this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the video was shot at the Spectrum. And the people yep. that I told that to had no idea. I said, no idea. The video, right? It's like, yeah, it was shot at the Spectrum. Oh, my yeah. God. Well. It was on the Glass Spiders tour stop in, at Philadelphia uh, Spectrum. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so the you, you the crowd you see there is the, the very local to Philadelphia. Yeah. And that was the first time he, he – and that song hadn't been released yet. So when he came out, that was his opening song to uh, that tour, to that – tour and so when he sang it people didn't know you know so that's still where i am do my um my david bowie um yeah but northeast fans are going to come out anyway because obviously and northeast fans are you know 
you're true wrestling fans. I know, you know, they, they're trying to make their way in the South and hit some of the hot spots, you know, Atlanta and uh, that kind of thing. But it really doesn't, uh, what they're showing isn't really, you know, isn't the wrestling. Southern wrestling. wrestling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's your daddy's wrestling. Yeah. You really want to, you really want to draw the people, build a temporary venue where the sportatorium used to sit and the empty grass field that's there. Yeah. There you go. Have Kevin Von Eric show up and go. Yeah. Go back to Dallas. Go back well, to Dallas. Yeah, well, even the way they're, but even the, what even AEW is doing, and we can applaud them all day for going to traditional wrestling towns like Atlanta, which is, which is great. And going to, you know, coming up to the Northeast where pro, re- pro wrestling fans will appreciate pro wrestling. If you're not giving it to them, that's when you're going to run into some problems. I mean, their match, the, the card they had in Atlanta, you, it, you featured a, um, an Atlanta street fight between uh, Cody and uh, Andrade. Okay, but there was absolutely no buildup at all between these guys. I, I, when I turned it, I had no idea why they were fighting. I didn't hear any promo from either one of those guys leading up to it. So why should I care? It's like throwing, you know, let's, I I was as confused as, as when, uh, Roddy Piper just come off the, the, the doll collar match with uh, Greg Valentine in, uh, after Starcade. And then in February, he's got a, a doll collar match against Buzz Sawyer in Cleveland, Ohio. And it made all the the wrestling magazines and stuff. But I was like, wow, that would be awesome. But when did Roddy, Roddy Piper have time to feud with Buzz Sawyer? Where did that come from? I mean, and it was a great match. And it's like, wow, Roddy Piper and Buzz Sawyer in a dog collar match. I knew I had to be awesome. But again, why? You know, those. but at least those guys had names. I, would, I cared that I missed Roddy Piper and Buzz Sawyer. Came out of nowhere. I don't remember them ever having a feud or a program before that or since. But. Cody and Andrade don't have that caveat. They don't have that that uh, that friend that you put their names out that people are going to care, especially when there's no buildup. I keep pro- I'm going to keep pressing that button. There was no buildup. There was no promo on either one of them. I don't know why they were fighting, and I don't know why whatever feud they had got so bad that they had to have a Atlanta street fight with tables and ladders and chairs. Oh my! And even the end was so uh, anticlimactic, and it was so it was a, such a terrible ending. Um, did you see the match at all, Dan? No, I didn't care. No, I don't give a shit. Uh, okay, well, Nate, you, honest, I don't exactly. care. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Brandy made her return, uh, much to the uh, the apathy of the uh, the crowd, and her when she came out, you know, absolutely no reaction. Um, and they were. Uh, Cody and Andrade were on the top um, uh, turnbuckles, and they were trying to. One was trying to suplex the other on the table that was conveniently set up outside. Brandy goes and sets the table on fire. Oh, puts the lighter fluid and it sets the table on fire. Um, how did she know that her husband was going to suplex? You know, because the way they were both falling out, it could have been her husband going through the table. But instead, it was supposed to be Andrade. But the rotation that they had, it was a reverse suplex. So Andrade was coming down with stomach first. And he missed the entire table. 
and it was Cody who went through uh, the table, even though it was supposed to be Andrade. And he covered Andrade with his boot on fire, which um, was terrible, uh, a, a terrible ending, because Cody, right now, is probably the biggest heel in AEW outside of MJF. MJF is a legitimate heel, but Cody, who's trying so hard to be a face, is booed every time he takes a breath in AEW. So if you if he wants to be if he wanted to be a face, the best way to do that, since he was the one that went through the table and caught himself on fire, is to take the pin there, have the medical crew come out. I mean, they had somebody come out to put his boot out, have him lay down for 10, 15 minutes and, you know, help him up. And then you would get some type of support. Then you would get some type of face reaction since he so badly wants to be a face. But the fact that he he's the one that went through the flaming table and he pinned Andrade, which made the fans hate him even more because the, the finish was looked ugly. It was ugly. And absolutely no one cares. And Brandy's still a heel. That's the thing. Um, she's not liked anyway. So if you, you have two people that the crowd doesn't like, um, I don't know why they're trying they're still trying but that's indicative of what AEW is doing they go to a big uh, wrestling town like Atlanta and you have their main event is two people that uh, no one cares about or there, there was no build up to any to any feud and you, you have a uh, street fight that had one of the worst endings um, that you could see in a match uh, another thing that's diluting the, the the product, you know, why they're they will get a million one week and then nothing, uh, or they will go down. Uh, the CM Punk factor um, and MJF kind of alluded to this in his promo. Uh, kind of wearing thin. If he's wrestling every week, what's the uh, what's the uh, and he's wrestling nobodies every week, wrestling job guys. And there's nothing wrong with that. Obviously, Punk is doing this because these are people he wanted to work with. And younger guys, you know, establish, you know, give give them the rub. But if he's going to be wrestling every week, then what's the, uh, now he's just another guy on the card. Same thing with uh, Adam Cole. They completely destroyed. Uh, I don't know what made me check. <laughs> um. Oh, I'll tell you why I checked because I had Instagram open still on my phone, and when it, when I opened it, it went to Kevin Na Kevin Nash's uh, Instagram was next one on my feed, and he was saying uh, goodbye to this guy. Breaking news: uh, former WWE Hall of Famer Blackjack Lanza is dead at eighty six years old. Wow, eighty six, man. Jack Lanza, man. Him and Blackjack Mulligan, baby. One half of uh, the legendary uh, tag teams in professional wrestling, not just in the WWF, um, the Blackjacks, Mulligan and Lanza. These were the first guys that were just two. I mean, legitimately, Lanza was 6'9. I'm sorry, uh, Mulligan was 6'9. Lanza was 6'6. Six, six. First guys I saw other than Andre that stepped over the top rope 
when I saw them the first time in the in the 70s in the WWF, um, black vests, black hat, black handlebar mustaches, black boots, black trunks, and each of them had the black fingerless glove that they would use for the claw. And that's how they would win their bouts with the with the claw hold. Right. Uh, uh, and they started in the uh, in the in, in the AWA um, wrestling against Crusher and Bruiser, and then went to the WWA Bruiser's territory. But in both of those territories, managed by Bobby Heenan. Yep. Uh, one of the great matches you'll find on YouTube, which I encourage you to do your homework, folks. Uh, YouTube the AWA TV match between Bruiser and Crusher against uh, Mulligan and Lanza and Bobby Heenan getting involved and uh, the place was just going nuts every time they laid their hands on Heenan but these two big guys Mulligan and Lanza sold their asses off uh, but those guys made such a an impact in tag team wrestling because again no one had seen any two guys that big uh, and with the cowboy gimmicks, like I said, black everything, black hat, black trunks, black boots, uh, black fingerless gloves. Yeah. Brain. And he knew talent. And he stayed with those guys from AWA to the WWA. And uh, when they came to the WWF, WWWF, uh, they were um, uh, amazing. Um, and... Uh, to this day, Dan, I'll say this on this very podcast. I, I've seen every single WWF, WWF, WWE tag team championship change. Every single one, except one. <laughs> I saw that when uh, Mulligan Alonza became the, the, the tag team champions. Uh, <laughs> and it was... Uh, Amazing because they were so they were so good, and I you, you just knew that they were going to win because they were so imposing. But I never saw them lose. Um, this was back on Saturday mornings uh, when they would show wrestling uh, Saturday, and if you were lucky enough to see it, you saw it. But if you missed it, like I did, because I had to go to my grandmother's house, and uh, I never saw the Blackjacks lose. And that's the only tag team championship in the history of the WWE. In the 58-year history of the WWE, I've met the only tag team title change that I missed. So in my mind, the Blackjacks were undefeated. Yeah, undefeated. Yeah, they never, they never lost. Uh, Lonza went on to the AWA with Bobby, went back to the AWA with Bobby, uh, and they started the... Uh, their uh, epic run in the AWA with Nick Bockwinkle was the AWA champion and Bobby Duncombe and Blackjack Lonza were the AWA tag team champions. And Bobby Heenan controlled all the gold in, in the AWA for a good two to three year stretch. And you couldn't tell him anything. And, um, they, and Lonza and, he, and um, Bobby stayed in touch when Lonza turned face and he wore white to challenge NW to challenge Nick Bockwinkle. He had all white hat, white big white feather in it, white jacket, white trunks, white boots, and became number one contender to uh 
Nick's uh, AWA Heavyweight Championship. And uh, first run as a face, and he did great. And he, after that, uh, retired and became an agent and went to the WWF along with Bobby Heenan, along with that great AWA exodus in uh, 1984 when Mean Gene, Jesse Ventura, Dave Schultz, Bobby Heenan, Black Jack Lanza, uh, all went to the uh, the AW. All went to the WWF, and uh, Lanza became an agent and became the most well respected uh, guys that they that the WWF had backstage. Someone that um, either sat in guerrilla position or he was someone that went on the house, went to the house shows and made sure that everything was okay, made sure the guys were okay, made sure they had everything they needed. If there were any trouble. He had to see Jack Lanza. He dropped the black. He was just Jack Lanza. And uh, he was a guy that uh, everyone respected and that no one wanted to deal with if they got out of line. But just one of the nicest uh, guys. I, I haven't heard one bad thing about him. Uh, unlike his tag team partner, Black Jack Mulligan, Black Jack Lanza was a guy that uh, uh, kept, his, kept his nose clean, um, always shot straight. And was just a really well-respected guy. He was a big part of my childhood because the Blackjacks were, man, just one of the great tag teams of all time. And if anyone was happy, was um, fortunate enough to see them either in the uh, AWA, WWA, or the WWF, count yourself lucky. Uh, Mulligan obviously went on to a great single success in the Carolinas in the United St- as the United States Heavyweight Champion and one half of the. NWA Tag Team Champions with uh, Ric Flair after he turned face. To, but after they left the uh, WWF, Mulligan and Lanza never teamed up again. Um, it's a shame. They stayed friends, but they uh, never uh, went back to their uh, old glory. But when they were together, man, they were awesome. I've talked enough about do you have any memories of uh, of Black No, unfortunately, unfortunately, it's all with um... – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, going back and watching archive archival footage and going yeah. back and retros- uh, the retrospectives and the chronological order stuff. Um, but put that on a list of about 20, 30 teams or wrestlers as I was growing up watching the end, the death throes of the NWA morphing into World Championship Wrestling and Turner on TBS and TNT. Well, mostly TBS until the, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah. The Turner Networks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the name you friggin' knew. <laughs> Blackjack yeah. Lanza and Blackjack Mulligan were just names you knew. Yeah, and just uh, uh, but you know what? It, there was what did he get inducted mid two thousands into the Hall of Fame? Yeah, there was, was a there was a well, no, it was great. It was one of those stretches where they started putting guys in the Hall of Fame that were bigger names because now they had the footage of all the companies they had. They had defeated and yeah. bought up and were, were put out of business. They had all the video libraries. So when a guy like Blackjack Alonzo got inducted, you had a full career retrospective being aired or being shown for a month, showing you right. all of the things that this guy did in wrestling. And that helped, you know, re-up your uh, uh, exposure to him. But it was just the name I knew. Just, yeah. Even before I knew what the hell he looked like, I knew. And, you know, they do. Uh, flashbacks in the wrestling mags, the after mags, mm-hmm. as so um, 
eloquently put it, stated by so many people, the, the different mag- magazines would have articles every now and then about this match in history. And it would be, you know, the Blackjacks yeah. <laughs> versus somebody kicking the shit out of them. So yeah, it's just a name. Uh, there's no cause of death given. Okay. But he was uh, 86. But that, I mean, you know. Yeah. yeah. And you're 86 for a wrestler. You might as well be 106. I was going to say, yeah. I was going to say 86 for a wrestler is outstanding. It's just, yeah. and I, it's not a con- competition, but you hear so many. We, we've all been alive. You, you've seen the twice as many wrestlers died at a young age through the 70s to right now. You know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There, a lot of wrestlers don't make it. And he was right. able, as you said earlier, he kept his nose clean. 86, yeah. man. That is, well, the, it might as well be 106 in wrestling. Yeah, yeah. but Vince McMahon and, and announced it on his account. Yeah, okay. But the fact that Kevin Nash did, and Kevin Nash is someone who doesn't have a lot of, I mean, I'm not saying I have a lot of friends, but he's not someone who says a lot of nice things about certain about a lot of people. You know, we know who his friends are, but for him to say, it's also a guy who doesn't have to tribute. say nice things about a lot of people. <laughs> exactly, but for him to give a tribute to Jack Lonza really shows you what type of impact he had on just on just everyone. Kevin Nash uh, wrote, "Rest in peace, Jack. You were the only person that openly voted to bring the NWO into the WWE." You were a mentor and a friend. I will miss you. There you go. There you go. Yeah, and I I know he felt the kinship towards Nash because, you know, as one of the big wrestlers, he was, again, he and, and Lonzo, they were the original skyscrapers because no one had ever seen a team that large before. And uh, as far as Bobby goes, that was the team that really got Bobby over as a manager because when Bobby managed the Blackjacks, against Crusher and Bruiser uh, or against um, any of the uh, the, the um, babyface tag teams, it would it would be Bobby if they were going over or if they were a, a blow-off feud. Not only would Mulligan and Lonza be bloodied, but so would Bobby too. Bobby would be, and it would always be in Blackjack's matches where they'd get their hands on Bobby and Bobby would not only sell his ass off, but he'd bleed a gusher you know uh but it was um i was thinking more with the blackjacks he had more of a uh a, a, an athletic role he got more involved than say he would uh when he managed uh Bachwinkle and stevens and um or or the valiant brothers uh the blackjacks he had the the ice the most physicality that was the first team that really got bobby over as uh as a a big a big time manager, and he, um, after the Blackjacks broke up, like I said, Duncan and Lonza in the AWA. You know, he had already managed Nick Bockwinkle and Ray Stevens, and now he was managing uh, Bobby Duncan and Blackjack Lonza to the AWA Tag Team Championship. And you know, he was unstoppable, and they were unstoppable. And that was the Heenan magic, but his friendship with Lonza never. Never left. I mean, from the AWA all the way to the to the WWF, and they were together again. Um, uh, is a tribute to Lonza's. Uh, what a good guy he was, because he inspired so much, so many friendships, and he uh, was a loyal guy. And uh, yeah, he will be missed. Um, I would like to hear more uh, tributes from from people. Um, I uh, Jim Cornette was just talking about him uh, uh, last week in one of his shows, and I know he they got along really well. And he and Cornette was a huge fan of 
Lonzo when he was with the Blackjacks because he was a huge fan of Bobby's and his career. And you can't say Bobby Heenan without mentioning the Blackjacks. You can't. You just yeah, simply so, can't. Uh, no, big. Um, did not know that. That's a, a big loss. Let's uh, get away from the uh, um, the morbid and the unfortunate, and uh, let's talk about. Well, I guess this is kind of unfortunate, but uh, something not as serious okay. as one dying. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess WWE this week said goodbye to Johnny Gargano. Uh, yeah. Um, All right. Well, thank you. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Gargano, um, great worker, great uh, athletic abilities, uh, amazing. Um, he just he never did it for me. He he was, but he was a face of NXT. NXT was the best wrestling organization on television. Period. When they had the best stars, when they had the best workers, I mean, even before AEW, you I watch an NXT NXT Takeover show before I watch any WWE pay per view. Uh, just between Gargano, Champa, the Undisputed Era alone, and they had, and when he had Joe there and Drew there and Keith Lee there. You had nothing but un- unmatched talent, and our Gargana was was part of that. You know, um, I don't really see him fitting any. I mean, he he would fit obviously he would fit in in AEW um, because there's so many wrestlers like him, like you said, Indy Darlings and guys that have made their names on the, you know, on the on, on national TV. But um, we were just talking about that. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about that. But I, I, uh, he, he never did it for me. I just, he, I never liked, he, and not that I never liked him. I, he, he never, I didn't want to change his dial. His matches with Ciampa were amazing. I was going to say, amazing. like, I, I would, you know, looking back, I remember the people discussing how, uh, we've seen this match 15 times. We've already seen, I, now that he's not there, it's one of those things that you don't know what you got until you go until it's gone. I'll watch another yeah. five of those. Those guys. Yeah. It's one of the rare cases where when they wrestled each time you saw a little bit more and you saw a little bit more that you didn't see in the last match. Oh, and there's a little more, just a little bit of a change, just enough from the last match where you're like, hot damn, this just took another level out of it. And it was great long-term booking, Dan. They started off as a tag team and then they broke up and then they were at each other's throats and then Champa got injured and Gargano became more and more popular. Then Champa came back. And he got his revenge. And then slowly you got to see them have the same enemies and have the same people they were fighting until they made their way back toward each other. A cult, like a, a two-year build. We always talk happened, about on this show that long-term storytelling is gone. And every now and then you see a little blast from the past in a good way. And I agree Wrestling needs to evolve from the past in a lot of ways. But one of the things that needs to come back is long-term storytelling, which is something you see every... People have to be reinforced on Twitter every day. Hey, this just started. Why don't you give it a day? (laughs) You know? This thing literally went over two years, a full circle back around. It was perfect. Perfect. 
Yes, let it breathe. That's professional wrestling, folks. It's really not that hard. You're not supposed uh, to get a beginning, middle, and end by summer. Yeah, yeah. I hate and, that shit. And well, that why why AEW is such a uh, a hard uh, show to watch because they have such an not an inferior product but inferior storytelling. They don't. Bel- I, I I've heard this from a couple people in reliable sources in AEW. They don't like rematches. They they have one match and then that's it. A um, young bucks only wrestled the FDR once because the young bucks are a bunch of sniveling cowards, so they got their one win and then never wrestled again. So they're not going <laughs> to they're not going to have a rematch. We're just a sidebar. What was the the post I said this week where the young bucks said they invented wrestling in sneakers, and somebody was like, "No, <laughs> here's here's fifteen examples of why you're an idiot. Of why you're I, why I you're hate the young bucks. You know, I used to be like, well, they're okay." I'm on the other side of it now. I, I don't care for nor want to see the Young Bucks wrestle again. They're overrated. They're annoying. It, it's not good heat. I'm tired of them. I don't care. There. Anyway. Anyway. Gargano. Yes. Uh, Johnny, you crystallized my thoughts eloquently, by the way. Yeah, but yes. Yeah, I'm uh, fucking over Johnny, it. <laughs> Johnny Gargano uh, is a big loss for NXT. When the NXT was NXT, he was a main part of that. Big cog in that. Uh, it was over with the fans. I, I said I love his work in the ring. Um, I just think he's expressionless, motionless. I I hated the skits he was doing with uh, with that other guy. I forget when he was he was trying to break them up and and it became a variety show. And you know Johnny and his I don't know if it was his wife or his girlfriend or whoever. Um, but I know that's the happy horse shit that the the tv writers come up with i don't know why a wrestling show needs tv writers but apparently nxt did and it you think after sagging ratings the last 20 years they'd figure out perhaps it's not a great idea well they don't like the word wrestling they well i don't like like the word tv writers so we're even i don't like the word entertainment and wwe so well well we're even mother heifer yeah um, interesting to see where he would show where he's going to show up next. Um, he's still uh, he's the same age as Adam Cole um, and same height. So again, um, part the reason why he I'm never sure. made it to the yeah the reason why he never made it to the 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 big you know the big show or I or no pun intended I mean to the main roster is what I'm trying to say. Um, and the same reason a lot of them didn't make it to the main roster. Maybe because of their height, but um, honestly, we, we've seen what the NXT superstars, world champions, going to uh, the main roster. It's the kiss of death. So even if you really liked uh, Johnny um, and wanted him to, if he even if he was the best wrestler in the NXT and was the um, the best competitor, you don't you wouldn't want him to go to the main roster only because. He would have been treated like uh, like garbage, or booked into something else, or given a carrying cross like angle where he made to look like an idiot, or a Keith Lee. So, um, uh, big loss for uh, Jenny for NXT. Uh, you have to wonder though, Dan, uh, where's Triple H in all this? I don't. I I. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's still the health issues. I, I don't know what's going on at NXT. Uh, 
in general, I don't know if he's coming back. I don't know if he's away. Uh, he has to be because that show is garbage right now. <laughs> and it's a shame because Joe Gacy is finally getting TV time. And it's just like, that's. Yeah, that's what you're doing, huh? OK, not Gacy. Listen, Joe Gacy will do anything with anyone you give him. He'll make it work and it's making it work for him. But. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know what the creative process is right now. So the less I say, the better. I just the TV show. They went to version two or whatever the hell they're doing. And the first two weeks, I was like, all right, this is pretty cool. And then it's just like, huh, what else can I do tonight? <laughs> I'll watch the Flyers lose 10 in a row. Wow. Well, uh, Johnny, we hardly knew you. It's now time to go back to when we actually did watch professional wrestling in record numbers. Not in on the YouTube. Millions. Yes, not on YouTube. Live every week, every Monday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday night in the millions with an M that we'd watch uh, and uh, locally and nationally uh, from stadiums and coliseums and high school gymnasiums and in all 50 states uh there were there was professional wrestling uh and there were no writers there were bookers and there were wrestlers that came up with their own characters and their own lines that were given a microphone and two minutes of airtime and made something happen on their own and pretty much the way we remember it was a guy was talking about beating up another guy and he wanted you to pay to see it. And you'd have to go out to see who won. That's Pro Wrestling 101, folks. That's what we're missing now. So thankfully, now we have the wrestling historian. Uh, this week in wrestling, uh, we had some uh, monumental... Uh, title changes, historic-wise, um, starting off in the week of December. Uh, December 1st, 1973, right here, Philadelphia. Famed Philadelphia Arena. Oh, we're going uh, back. We're... <laughs> yeah, we, oh, yeah, Damn. we're going back. Not air-conditioned. <laughs> no, not air-conditioned. Going back to 46th and Market, uh, West Philly, born and raised. Where uh, Stan Stasiak was taking on the WWF heavyweight champion Pedro Morales uh, for the championship. Now, Pedro had been champion for two years after defeating Ivan Koloff in uh, Madison Square Garden. Um, he had been the most popular champion since Bruno. And Bruno had been, all, had been away for two years. And in those two years, Bruno... Retired, got some rest, finally. Didn't wrestle. Uh, when he did wrestle, he wrestled for his old friend Bruiser's uh, federation in the WWA. Uh, he and Bruiser actually took on the Blackjacks with Bobby Heenan. So the great Bruno Sammartino and the great Bobby Heenan had been in the same ring at the same time um, uh, back in the early 70s. So while that was going on, Pedro Morales ruled the roost in the WWF. Um, but fans were still wanting to see Bruno, and Bruno would make some matches from time to time on Mass Square Garden. 
and Pedro Morales was an incredibly popular champion, um, still selling out Madison Square Garden and Philadelphia, like on this particular fateful day on December 1st, 1973. But there were riots still, Dan, uh, because it seemed to follow the ethnic champions when uh, Bruno was uh, champion, champion, and the Italians loved Bruno and didn't like to see him get beaten up. He, he never lost. Um, but they just didn't like seeing the bad guys, you know, take it to Bruno. And during matches and after matches, there would be riots of fans trying to get to whoever, whatever person was challenging Bruno. Um, we took the belt off Bruno, uh, briefly the Ivan Koloff, and when it got to Pedro, uh, Pedro had his own following. With Latinos, Puerto Ricans love, and they would pack Madison Square Garden as well. But the same thing would happen. There would be riots. Um, and not saying Italian fans and or Latin American fans or any more, you know. I'm blaming those Italians. <laughs> I don't know. And, and the Italians would blame the Latin American fans for they nah. caused riots too. Nah. Well, on this, <laughs> on, this, <laughs> on this particular day, Dan, it was already in place that um, Bruno was going to come back as champion. Um, but, and they even had Bruno wrestle Pedro Morales at Shea Stadium, the very first Shea Stadium show, and they went to a 75-minute draw with the fans split right down the middle. And fans wanted Bruno back, but they didn't want Bruno over Pedro, so they had to have a transitional champion. Kind of like when the NWE wanted Jack Briscoe to be champion over Dory Funk Jr., but either Dory wouldn't drop the belt to Jack, or they just didn't want to have these two guys one beat the other, so Enter Harley Race, and the rest is history. So Jack Br- Harley beats Dory Funk. Jack Briscoe beats Harley Race. So we get the belt off Dory unto Jack Briscoe, the one we really want. Well, the plan was to get the belt off Pedro back to Bruno. To do this, enter Stan Stasiak. And on December 1st, 1973, Stan Stasiak uh, wrestled Pedro Morales. And in a weird pinning combination, uh, Stan had... Pedro in a belly-to-back suplex and both men hit the mat and the referee counted the three. And the bell rang and Stan stood up and the announcer didn't announce the winner. And he just told the crowd, let's have a hand for great champion Pedro Morales. And it wasn't until the next week on TV that we found out that Stan Stasiak on that day had beaten Pedro Morales for the WWF Heavyweight Championship. But they didn't announce it because they didn't want to riot. So, uh, <laughs> Stan Stasiak wasn't even presented the belt until later on that night when they were all were in the dressing room. Smart. So, yeah. <laughs> Which is why I said it was a weird title change because uh, the referee counted to three, the bell rang, the announcer didn't announce a new champion, didn't raise Stan's hand, just said, let's have a hand for Pedro Morales, everyone. Get out, raised, get out of here. Pedro. <laughs> everyone look at Pedro. Clap for Pedro, everyone. Look at everybody. Stan. Look, Pedro. Get out quick. Look. Stan, hey. Stan, get out of the ring. Get out of the ring, Stan. Don't raise your hand. Just keep walking. Here we go. Yes. <laughs> so, 
Both shoulders were pinned, and that's how they got the belt off Pedro Morales. And Stan Stasiak became the World Wide Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Champion December 1st, 1973. And eight days later, he would not be champion anymore. Hey, uh, everybody, just kidding. See <laughs> <laughs> that? Uh, December 2nd, the very next day, one year later, one year and one day later, they had December 2nd, 1974, all the way to Tokyo, Japan. Speaking of uh, agreements and what has to be done and that kind of thing, uh, Jack Briscoe is making his first tour of Japan as the NWA Heavyweight Champion, going against the future All Japan president, Giant Baba. And it was on this day where Jack Briscoe would lose his NWA championship to the great Giant Baba. And that would be Giant Baba's first NWA heavyweight championship reign. Uh, Baba would lose that belt later on that week to Jack Briscoe. And that, like I said, that would be the first of Giant Baba's reigns. Giant Baba had three, was a three time NWA champion. Each time he would beat the Incoming NWA champion, in this case with Jack Briscoe, two other times, it was Harley Race, beat Jack Briscoe at the beginning of the week, and he would lose to Jack Briscoe at the end of the week. And he did the same with Harley Race twice. Giant Baba, Shuhai Giant Baba, was a three-time NWA champion, and all three of his reigns lasted a total of 15 days. Wow. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> Uh, that was kind of like your uh, your mea culpa your, uh, for the NWA champion coming to Japan to appear on an all-Japan card with Giant Baba. You would have to drop the belt to Baba when you get there, and you would pick it up on your way out. Um, and all the Giant Baba's wins were huge. Uh, in Japan, front page, everywhere, in this particular day, December 2nd, 1974, uh, he got a parade. Uh, and, um, again, like I said, front page and all the Japanese newspapers, uh, the first, uh, Japanese NWA heavyweight champion, the first Japanese world champion of any American company ever, um, happened December 2nd, 1974. My man's here in the second row at AEW at the U uh, UBS arena. Is mm -hmm. taking pictures and video with an iTab, uh, 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 an iPhone, an I iPad. Not a phone. Yeah. big. <laughs> okay. Hey, man, uh, you work with what you work with. Exactly. Uh, another. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, it's okay. Uh, staying with the theme of odd champions and odd championship reigns. Uh, I mentioned Stan Stavak at uh, eight days. Giant Papa, his first. NWA title win over the last five days and three three reigns lasted a total of 15 days. Uh, December 4th, 1979, Dan, uh, Bill Watts defeated Mike George for the North American Heavyweight Championship. Now, I've seen Bill Watts many times with the North American Heavyweight Championship belt and Bill Watts as a North American champion and in that the North American title is a top title in Mid-South and Bill Watts is synonymous with Mid-South. Well, um, when Mike, Bill Watts defeated Mike George for the, mid, for the North American Heavyweight Championship, and he lost it back to Mike George two days later. 
But Dan, that would be the only time that Bill Watts ever held the North American Championship. Would he piss off? It couldn't have been himself because he ran the company. Yeah. But um, <laughs> <laughs> who had pictures? Uh, I don't know. But speaking of pictures, every picture that I, when I first became aware of Bill Watts was a picture of Bill Watts with the North American Heavyweight Championship. <laughs> he was only a championship once. <laughs> yes. Make sure yeah, you get a, pictures of this, baby. A lot. And uh, and uh, but he, different you know, angles. We're printing the shit out of that. But I always assumed that Bill Watts was a multi-time North American Heavyweight <laughs> Champion. It made the North American Heavyweight Champion. It was a big the biggest belt in the Mid South, and it was what every wrestler aspired to. And the winning the North American Championship made the careers of anyone who held it. Junkyard Dog, Magnum TA, uh. Ted DiBiase, winning those belts made them superstars, national, on a national scale. After winning the North American Championship in the Mid-South, all those guys could write their own ticket to any territory they went to. Um, so winning that, so I thought that Bill Watts, because when again, first time I saw him was him wearing the North American Championship belt, but only held it for two days, folks, and only held it once. Well, so, good. Yeah. Well, I, I applaud him for not going to Jerry Lawler wrote, you know, the 33-time Southern Heavyweight Champion Jerry Lawler, <laughs> which is nothing wrong with that because in those 33 reigns, Jerry Lawler sold out the Mid-South Coliseum and every That's stadium arena in Tennessee for 30 years. So can't fault that. But, I was just say, F the Vino. <laughs> Bill, Bill Watts went the other way. Only held it once. Um, <laughs> and that brings us to uh, December 5th, um, 2004, a little bit more recently, uh, on T TNA Turning Point pay-per-view. Oh, uh, one of the defining moments of that pay-per-view. Um, and TNA really, at this point, had the reputation of being the most exciting wrestling that there was on TV because of the, the talent that they had. And one of the signature moments of TNA, because even when I, when I say TNA now, I still think of this move, but it happened on this day, December 5th, 2004, uh, during the, uh, uh, America's most wanted the name, that was the name of the tag team, uh, James storm. And I uh, forget the other guy. I'm so sorry. Um, Oh, um, Cassidy? I want to say Cassidy, but I know that's not right. James Storm and God, who what? else? Oh, wow, Gee, Chris who? Harris. Chris Walker, Harris, thank Chris you. Harris. Yes. I was going to say, he was in WCW for a little bit. I can't remember his name. W yeah, and he was in WWE for a little bit. Yeah, uh, yeah. but James Storm and Chris Harris went up against uh, Christopher Daniels and Elix Skipper and uh, in, a ta in a cage match. Uh, tag team title cage match on the eight-sided ring, and it was there where Elix Skipper made the still incredible move of tightrope walking across the cage to give a Horikanrana to uh, James Storm, and still the most one of the most incredible moves I've ever seen in professional wrestling. And when I think of TNA, I think of that move. Uh, and they showed it on their opening credits all in every TNA uh, uh, TV show when they had TV that was getting better ratings than AEW is getting now. I just should point out, 
but uh, that's when that uh, that move occurred. Still breathtaking, and then Elix Skipper was a, a, a phenomenal talent and a guy that would you know be excelling in AEW now. But that wasn't even the big story, Dan, of that particular card, um, that TNA Turning Point in 2004, because there was a, a six-man tag team match, the main event. Uh, uh, the cast-offs and just the amazing uh, what TNA did with kind of what AEW is doing now with the uh, names that people know uh, and sign them to their company. But you had uh, Jeff Jarrett, Scott Hall, and Kevin Nash. Remember that name, Kevin Nash? We mentioned that Ooh. in a previous episode. But Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Jeff Jarrett teamed up to go against the team of Jeff Hardy, AJ Styles, and the Macho Man, Randy Savage. That's right. It was his last appearance in wrestling. December 5th, 2004, after Randy Savage pinned Jeff Jarrett to win the six-man title, six-man match for him, for his team, that would be the very last match in the career of Randy Savage. And Randy Savage, to his credit, and I always put this out, you know, when we talk about wrestling, wrestlers retiring or wrestlers leaving, uh, you know, that word retirement doesn't really stick. Didn't stick with, didn't stick with Flair. Didn't stick with Mick Foley. Never stuck with Hogan. Certainly never stuck with Piper. But when Randy Savage walked away, he stayed gone. He never came back to wrestling. And to his credit, he was a man of his word. Um, obviously, we would have loved to have seen Randy Savage, not just in a wrestling ring again, but even just do a promo, make an appearance, even do commentary. But he never did. Randy Savage, on this day, wrestled his last match and walked away from wrestling for good. Uh, obviously, uh, saying goodbye to Randy Savage was really hard when we had to say the final goodbye to him. But we uh, got the chance to see him for one last time in the, in the ring on this date, or December, this date, December 5th, 2004. Oh, yeah. And that... Gentlemen and ladies, is a wrestling historian. And you can follow me, if you so choose, on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at Craig Lagon, C R A I G L I G E O N S. You can follow me on all social media platforms at DanLaw83, youtube.com slash DanLaw83. Watch the live stream. If you're listening, you want to watch us live, DanLaw.tv, Wednesday nights, 7 o'clock. Uh, that's it for tonight, for today, for whenever time of day you're listening to this, watching this, for Craig Lagans, I'm Dan Calchico, the other guy. Goodbye.